Welcome back to one-on-one New York's longest running sports call-in show. Alex Woltz, Ryan Gregware, and now pleased to be joined by Dave Lennon, an award-winning baseball columnist for Newsday covering the Mets and Yankees as we head into the home stretch of the season here. Dave, thanks so much for being here. How are you? Oh, great. My pleasure, guys. So obviously so much to talk about between both teams that you've talked, you've covered, and we're going to start obviously with the Yankees because I feel like that's the most uh, pressing thing at the moment. And we head into, as we're talking here on Friday, we're heading into just a massive series. I mean, you cannot overstate where we're at now against the AL East in the home stretch here, three games against the Red Sox. I'm just curious for you covering baseball for so many years, how exciting is it to have Yankees, Red Sox, the rivalry back again and to get such a big series here in September? Yeah, I mean, it, it lined up perfectly. You know, the schedule doesn't always go this way. You know, sometimes you're stuck with, you know, limping to the end with some uninspiring series. Um, unfortunately for the Yankees, uh, the Red Sox and Blue Jays have some of those uninspiring series left as an easier opponents than they do, which is another story. Um, but yeah, I mean, to have a, a late September series with so much at stake, at Fenway Park, which is kind of a pressure cooker as it is with, you know, 30,000 people on top of each other, a much different venue than the new Yankee Stadium. Uh, yeah, I, I expect it. You know, I, I think the intensity is going to be there. I think the emotions are going to be pretty high, which you don't always see during the course of a long baseball season. And yeah, I expect it to be a pretty special weekend. Yeah, and obviously it's been a roller coaster for the Yankees. You know, you have people like – it's definitely been a disappointment, right? You didn't expect to go into this, you know, a game up on a playoff spot, fighting for your lives against the Red Sox. I'm wondering, obviously, these next nine games mean everything for the Yankees. They mean the season, clearly. Uh, I'm wondering if you look big picture here, like if they do miss the playoffs, which is very, very reasonable, is there any – is this season 100% failure? Like is there any positive takeaways or is it just because of the payroll and everything and all the resources – they put in, it's just 100% a failure. Well, I mean, I think a hundred percent is a high number to say about any season. You know, there's always going to be parts of it uh, that can be pluses, including some individual performances, obviously. Hey, Nestor Cortez turned out to be pretty good find by the end of the season. Right. But you want some bigger pluses than that, obviously. Right. And, and I know I'm not alone as somebody who picked the Yankees when the season began to probably represent the American League in the World Series. I mean, they just really seem like a stacked team at the start of this year. And the rest of the division, the Blue Jays figured to be good. Uh, but the Red Sox, this was kind of unexpected. I mean, this was, I, I won't go as far as to say a rebuild, but it wasn't really a situation where you expected this type of performance from the Red Sox. I think everybody in Boston would kind of tell you the same thing. So from the Yankees standpoint, yeah, if they don't, whenever the Yankees don't make the playoffs, it's a crushing disaster, right? That's just the way it is with the Yankees. Um, so I'd have to say that there's very little you can derive a positivity here. Um, so yeah, this really has to be an all out uh, drive for the playoffs here. And, and anything short of that with the Yankees series, no matter how close you get uh, with the Yankees season, if they're not playing in October, then the season is a failure, no doubt. And we're talking about the playoffs here. There's obviously the chance they don't make it. There's obviously a chance they do. And these last nine games here are really going to decide a lot of that. So let's get into some specifics here about what has to go down here in these, in these final few games. And I want to start with the pitching rotation because obviously it's been really a talking point this entire season. Garrett Cole up and down, but by and large, the guy you expect him to be. Beyond that, some question marks. You know, you get Corey Kluber going out for a little bit and then he comes back again. You've covered some no-hitters, his included. And, you know, somebody who you really don't know what you're going to get, Jamison Tyone, working his way back as well. I'm curious, outside of Cole, let's look at the, the other guys in that rotation. Who do you think is going to be the most important piece for the Yankees uh, down the stretch or maybe in the playoffs in that rotation? 
Well, I mean, I think the next guy in line there right now has been Jordan Montgomery. You know, he's always been a little bit of a, a wild card just because, you know, he doesn't really have that type of overpowering pitching style. And he's kind of a low key guy. You know, he's always kind of been under the radar and he's not. I mean, if, if you asked a lot of fans many times in generally speaking, you know, to kind of name a Yankees rotation, Montgomery would probably be the guy they'd forget. They'd be like, you know, I know I'm leaving out somebody. I wonder who that could be. Typically, it's Jordan Montgomery, you know, and he's the lefty, you know, which has always been a valuable guy to have in Yankee Stadium, you know, through the years. Traditionally, left-handed starters are, are pretty important for them. So he's the guy I point to. And, and he's the guy that if they make it beyond a one-game wild card, that's going to be pretty huge. As typically your game two starter, I mean, it's going to have to be juggled because you'll have Cole in the wild card game and you'll have to redo the rotation after that for the next round. But after that, I mean, Tyone was really a, a very promising guy and, and, and took off after a slow start. I mean, I know I was among the people that were certainly trashing is too strong a word, but, you know, we're wondering what the Yankees had gambled on with him because it took him kind of a while to get going. But when you looked at his performance in July and into August, you know, he was one of the best pitchers in the American league at that point. So his injury was a big blow to them. You know, that was pretty rough. And then you just go down the list of the guys that have done a pretty good job filling in, whether it's Louis Heal, um, you know, who was a nice surprise for them, uh, leveled off a little bit in this past couple starts. But, you know, Kluber is tough to predict. I mean, he obviously has the pedigree. Um, the injury he's coming back from was a little concerning. You know, the other night, uh, you know, it was kind of a tough start to read from him. As Boone said, a lot of soft contact. And there were a couple balls that hit him that blew, that hurt him, the bloop behind LeMahieu. So, you know, they have pitchers in the rotation that can pitch well. I'll say that. But at the same time, it's not really a crew that would roll into a series and you would say, here's where the Yankees have a big advantage. Other than Cole, I will give Montgomery kind of a nod in that number two slot. I think he can be a competitive number two for them now. But beyond that, as we know from watching this group, you know, the rotation can hardly be considered a big strength of this, of this team. Yeah. And some guys that would be in rotation spots, Luis Severino, Domingo Herman, both right. obviously now just coming back. Herman's still waiting to get in that first game. It looks like we're going to see them in kind of multi-inning roles in the bullpen. I'm wondering, do you see kind of like them being X factors potentially? Do you see big spots for them? Or do you think it's kind of just eat up some innings when games are out of hand and save the big arms? I mean, you know, the Yankees could get creative again and maybe go with an opener, you know, with Severino, if, if they feel like they have, if the bullpen's in good shape, good enough shape to try something like that. Uh, you know, you saw Michael King come back and pitch pretty well in, in his last, in his last outing. That was a big plus for them. And, and they'd like to take guys like that and piece it together. Domingo Herman, you know, it proved himself to be a big talent in the rotation. Now you can deploy those guys in a more targeted role. Um, and you're right. They're not, they're not stretched out. You know, they're coming back from it, from injuries and they don't have the, the pitch counts to really go deep into games for you. So you have to kind of pick your spots for them. They can be stoppers though. I mean, Severino's performance the other night was encouraging. Um, and, and, you know, it's too bad that he can't be, you know, a five inning starter for you, you know, that, that would be ideal, you know, considering who he is and what the Yankees have expected him to be. But as we've seen from the Yankees over the years, you know, they're, they're happy wheeling out uh, a deep bullpen uh, to, to battle guys in the playoffs. And a lot of times that's what you're seeing these teams do. Now, do the Yankees have that bullpen depth? Recently, they really hadn't, obviously. But, 
an encouraging thing to see from that when you add Herman and Severino to the mix, that the back end is starting to look a little better. I mean, Chapman has passed a couple times out, uh, has given the Yankees reason to feel confident now in that closing role. And that's something they hadn't had for, for weeks at a time with him. So we've talked a lot about the pitching, but we can honestly maybe, or maybe argue that the bigger question mark has come on the offense for a lot of this season. So I want to flip the coin there for a second. I want to ask about somebody specific, and that's John Carlos Stanton, because Ryan and I had this conversation a lot on the side about this narrative about him playing the outfield and then what we've seen from him at the plate. And I'm curious, you wrote an article about this recently, but you've kind of gleaned from Stan and how he's kind of thrived in this role in the outfield. And could that be a spark that this offense kind of needs heading into the playoffs here? I mean, I, I think we've seen a lot of times out of players and not just Stan guys, and you, you guys watch a lot of baseball and, and you've seen it too, is that, you know, a lot of guys aren't happy being DHs. You know, they just don't feel involved in the game. You know, especially I'll say if things are going poorly for you offensively, if you've just, you know, struck out three times and, and now you have to go to the plate again in the ninth or whatever, you know, is your head going to be all the way in the game if you don't really have a chance to do anything else, but you've failed in your three chances to contribute in any way for the team? Now, I think with Stanton, and I pointed out in that article that you mentioned, it's a smaller sample size. I mean, he's only had about 25 starts in the outfield so far, which is about roughly 25% of his starts of, of DH. And But those numbers have been good. I mean, his OPS has been solid and, you know, his home runs have been good. He's driven in a ton of RBIs. I think in that span, he has like 18 RBIs in 25 games or something. So I think getting his head involved in the game that way is better. You know, he was in the MVP of the, the National League in 2017 as a right fielder. And he's an athletic guy. You know, you watch him run now. He's not what he was. I mean, he doesn't really move too artfully out there, uh, but it's sufficient. And I think what it's given them is a little bit more flexibility. You know, they use Judge as DH two nights because he has these, you know, these undisclosed banged up issues to him, which is always a bit alarming. But in Stan's case, and, and I know you guys have probably debated this, is that what a tough guy to figure out, right? I mean, there, there are points during the first half of this year when he looked like the person, the worst person I've ever seen try to play baseball. I mean, he wasn't coming in, he wasn't coming in within three feet of some of those sliders, right? I mean, it was a disaster. Then he goes through a point where you can't get the guy out and everything he hits is 110 miles an hour and every other game he's hitting a home run. And that's kind of the Stanton they're seeing recently. And that's good because that that's the one they saw last October. And that's the one that can really be a factor. But I don't know what the difference is. We've asked him what the difference is. I'm not really sure he can really explain it. What I will give him credit for and just because it's come up from the other side of town with the Mets is that I've never heard anybody booed as loudly in New York as I heard Stanton booed in the first half of the season. He was killed. And not once did he ever mention it. He was asked about it plenty. And he, he had plenty of opportunities to say, you know what, it's not helping. You know, it's not helping me at the plate. You know, hearing that is making it difficult. Nope, not once. He just said that he had to go out, do a better job, kept his head down and did it. And that's the approach. And to me, you know, that said a lot about what, where, what kind of player he can be mentally and what's enabled him to get through these tougher times. Yeah, sticking with the bats here, I'm curious your opinion, because I think this is something that not everyone is on board with. DJ LeMayhew, obviously, it's been a very disappointing year for him. Um, sure. You know, looking what he was the last two years, you give him that big deal. He really hasn't lived up to it. He hasn't been terrible, right? He's been a league average hitter. But the Yankees really haven't shown a willingness to move him out of that leadoff spot. We know, especially with analytics, how important that is. You want your best hitters getting the most at-bats, everything like that. 
he hasn't really been that for the Yankees. Do you see kind of maybe, you know, over five the other night, some big at bats, he didn't come through in big spots. We've seen it more this year than in the past. Do you think there's a chance we could see Aaron Boone kind of as these games, right? These games mean everything. Get more urgent, move him down in the lineup, try to create a spark up there. Or do you think they're just going to keep riding him out there in the leadoff spot? I, 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 they've been incredibly stubborn with him at the top of the lineup there, you know, and, and it has surprised me because you mentioned these games as being so urgent. Now let's face it, guys, they've been playing urgent guys. For, I mean, urgent games for the past month, you know, not just these nine games. It's just the intensity has been ratcheted up because the time's running out, but the, you know, the past month has been incredibly important for them, especially with the struggles they've had. So, you know, what are your options for that leadoff spot? I guess there's not a ton, right? I mean, they've stuck Brett Gardner up there, you know. Uh, you know, Brett Gardner isn't a regular leadoff guy now. He's 38 years old. His speed is, is nowhere near what it even was, uh, you know, recently. So I, I just don't think they have a lot of choices there. I mean, if you if you want to go stick somebody, I mean, heck, Judge can run a little bit. And, and I've seen him steal a few bases once he was motivated by Tyler Wade during that, you know, go-go Yankees period we saw a number of weeks back. So I think there are some things to do. And, and I think that, you know, what the heck, they just had an off day. And you do see some things get a little crazier after an off day when a team has had a chance to sit down and really discuss things. They just came off a stretch of, you know, 20 straight games. So it wouldn't surprise me if they try something, a little bit of a different wrinkle. But the problem is, guys, and you touched on this, is that up and down the lineup, Who's hitting well? You know, you just, I mean, it's just not a group that's performed well offensively that you can say, hey, you know what? I'll go stick Gio or Shella in the leadoff spot, or, you know, I'll go stick, you know, whoever, Glaber Torres, just for to mix it up or whatever. No, I mean, Torres, I take it back, has been hitting better lately. So, but he's not a leadoff hitter guy. I mean, some of his at bats are atrocious with some of the wild swings that he does. So, just not a lot of options, you know, and despite LeMay, he was kind of downer of a year. I think they just feel like he's he's the, the the least bad of not not a great bunch. Yeah, so, so many things we could talk about with the Yankees. I feel like we've gone here 15 minutes, barely even scratched the surface, and one last week here to figure it all out. But I do want to ask before we let you go about the Mets, because this might be the last Saturday we end up talking about the Mets with the way things are going right now. So I want to ask you a couple of questions about them. And just sure. more broadly speaking, I mean, you look at where we were months ago to where we are now, and safe to say they're out of the playoff picture. I've been optimistic all year long, but I think it's safe to say that now. I will, I'll, I'll concede there. What do you think just went wrong from where we were months ago to where the Mets are now? A huge opportunity here in the NL East with the down year that it's been, and they just can't get the job done. I mean, if you told me when the season began what the NL East was going to look like and what these teams' records were going to be, uh, leaving the Mets out of it, I would have said the Mets would have been running away with this division by 10 games. You know, it's astonishing that the division has played as poorly as it has, and the Mets haven't been able to take advantage of that. I mean, and talking to people in the front office, when they look and analyze the group here, it's no mystery. You've just had it up and down the lineup of just everybody having below average years. I mean, who's having a decent year? Pete Alonzo, right? I mean, he, he's the guy that's had a decent year. Has it been outstanding? No, but he's been probably the most productive uh, in there, aside from Javi Baez. You know, Baez has been the best player on the team since they made that trade. Um, so I, I think that, I wonder, you know, they replaced Chili Davis back in May in the first week, you know, that they, they said he just didn't really fit the program analytically. And, you know, Hugh Quattlebaum certainly hasn't come in and lit the world on fire, you know. I just don't see, guys, when you watch their games, what's their approach at the plate? 
I mean, this is just a group that is just up there, you know, by the seat of their pants, you know, swinging wildly. There's, you know, sometimes there's discipline to the fact they're taking strike three right down the middle. Sometimes they decide to just be aggressive, swing at three straight pitches and that's it. You know, there's just no consistent approach among this group. They're up there just kind of feeling their way. Jeff McNeil, you know, I mean, the bottom just really fell out of him. I mean, this is a guy that was supposed to be like a contending for the batting championship every year. And he's just been a disaster offensively. So I don't know what's going to happen as far you know, obviously we know there's going to be a new president of baseball ops coming in, what that means for the coaching staff, what this guy has for ideas hitting wise. I, I just think they've really been adrift offensively about what they need to do. Uh, and I think we've seen that. I mean, their lack of offensive production in the second half, I think you've seen some of their numbers be okay, certainly OPS wise and stuff, but as far as what they can do, you know, <laughs> with runners in scoring position is insane there's no explanation for that with the bases loaded to be as bad as they are I mean that is the most advantageous situation you can have as a hitter and they've been a a zero there so mentally I I think the season got away from them they don't have the experience level to pull it back in they don't really have the manager or the coaching staff to, to reel it back in and I think that's why you saw it unravel the way that it did I'm fascinated to see where they go from here, because obviously we talked about, you know, I've heard we've heard some kind of maybe smoke about bringing guys back, running it back to the scouting department, everything like that. But when it comes to the players, I think, you know, it's a big offseason, obviously, for the Mets at a crossroads here. Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, Conforto, Javi Baez, all free agents at the end of the year. We know Steve Cohen is willing to spend. I'm just wondering, though, obviously, he can't bring everyone back. Right. It's the reality of the sport. Who are some of the guys that you think they should put an emphasis on to make sure they're part of this core for the future? Well, I, I mean, as far as the people that have contracts up, you know, I think Baez has shown himself to be a keeper now. I mean, how did he all of a sudden just fix himself? You know, he came in here as a guy that would basically swing at a pitch if he threw it at the backstop. And now he's become a disciplined hitter. You know, now he's become the most disciplined hitter in the lineup somehow. So I, I think it's worth exploring that with him. Uh, I think the fact that he has a good relationship with Lindor isn't a bad thing. You know, I, I think if you can, if those two guys can get the best out of themselves, provided you have a good manager that can kind of keep everybody in line. Uh, I don't think that's a, a bad idea. Syndergaard is a guy that I've gone back and forth on quite a bit. I mean, he's just gone two years without throwing a meaningful pitch for the Mets. You know, you're talking about giving, you know, he's not throwing breaking pitches. He's fastball change up now because he's worried about his elbow. And now you're talking about offering this guy $20 million for a qualifying offer. I'm not going there. You know, if I can get him on something more reasonable, something incentive based that could, that might be interesting to him to keep him beyond one year, then fine. But I I don't really feel a huge need to bring Noah Syndergaard back. I'm kind of curious where his price is going to go. He's had health issues in the past. You know, he hasn't really changed his delivery. So that's a big question mark. And I'm going to need him on a better rate than the 20 million qualifying offer to bring him back. Conforto. That that's another tough call for the qualifying offer. You know, again, it's one year, you know, I think he has ability in there to bounce back. Um, I wouldn't, I I think, will he take a qualifying offer or will he try to sign someplace else to get that second year? That's a good question. Um, But there's really not a lot of free agents that I need back out of this group. I mean, I'm willing to make much bigger changes. I mean, Dom Smith doesn't really have a place on this team. You know, he's a guy you have to actively look to move. 
during the off season for sure. Uh, Jeff McNeil, where's his spot going to be? You know, you have Robinson Cano coming back. Presumably you're going to try to make him a third baseman if you try to bring Baez back. So there's a lot of moving pieces here. Uh, there's certainly not a lot of guys on this team right now that I need back. Um, you know, you have Alonzo, you have DeGrom, uh, Stroman. Stroman's an interesting question. You know, he's had a great year. I don't know where the price is going to go for him. I know Steve Cohen, you know, has tons of money and money shouldn't be an object, but I was even surprised when people, you know, if you talked about him getting Wheeler money, you know, once you get north of a hundred million for him, and I know that's where he's going to try to go, you know, I, I, I wonder, you know, is he that kind of pitcher? And, and I think that's, I think if you can get him around a hundred, I think he's somebody that'd be worth investing in. If it goes much north of that, I think you can look elsewhere to in putting your and roster together. And another thing is just what, what's it going to look like, you know, with the CBA coming up in December, you know, what's it going to be like in trying to retain players, you know, what's the luxury tax threshold going to look like, even though with the Mets, I don't feel like they should be reined in by that necessarily. Um, so tons of question marks about how this roster uh, can be put together. That's why it's going to be fascinating to see what type of president of baseball ops winds up coming in here. Yeah, so many questions about the Mets' future, so many questions about the Yankees' present. And Dave, we appreciate you taking some time to break it all down. You could follow him, DP Lennon, on Twitter or read his work in Newsday. Dave, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much for all the insight. It was a pleasure. Guys, it was a lot of fun. And anytime and, and enjoy this last uh, week of baseball because football isn't looking so hot in, the, in this area right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan and I will definitely be watching it together. And uh, we'll be right back with some more one-on-one -on -one right after this. Take care, guys.